0: hello and welcome back to the show we're just a handful of friends sharing stories and talking about well anything and everything and tonight we're continuing our conversation about the hbo max series years and years the panel once again includes Lindsay hayes mark robertshaw and eric stein the series is produced by joan peterson and i'm your host christian clarno Just a quick program note, there will be spoilers here, so proceed with caution. Additionally, this program is intended for a mature audience, so listener discretion is advised. In our last podcast, we introduced you to the show, and we dove headfirst into the first episode, so this time we're going to move on to the second episode of Years and Years. So episode two takes place about six months after the bomb. Life has kind of gone on as normally as it can under these circumstances. Tensions are still high internationally, Pence is now president of the United States. Putin has just become president for life. The Chinese uh, president has become president for life. And Viv Rook has been elected an MP. Edith has been interviewed on television. And with her family and the rest of the world watching, she reveals that she went close on the boat to where the bomb went off. And she's been exposed to radiation and has radiation poisoning, and the interviewer estimates that she probably has 20 years left to live. She does not confirm or deny that, but that is the assumption that we're left with, and uh, that's kind of how the episode starts. The interesting thing to me is that the entire family is able to come together through this senior application, so they can kind of do a group Viewing of, of this live television broadcast, I guess it's kind of similar to some of the things that you can do on Netflix and kind of virtually view something with somebody, but that was kind of a neat idea, I thought, so that even though they were distant physically, they were still able to be together, in essence, to see this interview with their sister and unfortunately get this crazy news that she's been exposed to radiation.
1: Kind of what we're doing on Zoom, uh, the ability for everyone to come together right now, even when they're not in the same place. I've right, had- right. I have a happy hour with my my dad and my sister every Sunday. I see I actually connect now with my sister and my dad on a much more regular basis than I did before we went into a situation into kind of a quarantine lockdown type situation.
0: Yeah. It's it's interesting how a situation like the one in the show or the one that we're living through now can either bring to light these technologies that a lot of us didn't know existed or to spur new innovation to allow things to continue in as close to normal of a fashion as possible. Yeah.
1: The um interesting, there. there's a phrase that they use a lot in years and years that started to really, in a second viewing, kind of catch my ear differently. Now watching it a, a year later, they keep saying family link whenever they talk right. to um, senior family link family link, family link, um, right. it's kind and of just an a way dial to, for all your family members. and stuff. Yeah. Where they can get the entire family together in an instant. And it wasn't that long ago that, that, you know, my sister lives in Michigan. Um, I saw her maybe once a year. Um, yeah. and now I see her once a week and I would have to put C in quotes, but, um, I still sure. do see her every week.
0: Yeah. Well, you see her, you just yeah can't hug her or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty wild what we can do these days. Yeah. That family link is, is kind of interesting too. I, I kind of like that concept. The other thing is at, at one point, I don't remember if it's an episode two or three, but there's a call made by Steven and he says, family link, excluding Celeste. Yeah. So you can do a call and leave someone else out. So if you wanted to plan a surprise party or whatever, you don't have to call everyone individually. You can call everyone except the person that you're trying to surprise. And it, that was just kind of, it's a no-brainer, I guess, really, but it's it's kind of a, a novel concept. I thought that was kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I just saw something on Facebook where somebody was talking about how they'd been left out of a family event because of their political views that they found mm-hmm. out after the fact. They didn't, it wasn't even like, we're leaving you out. They did it secretively. We're having a, a barbecue. We're having a get-together, but we're not inviting this sister to come to this event, the entire family, except for this sister. So I guess that's a good way to use Family Link as well, you know, Family Link, yeah. excluding excluding this person you know if uh, you've gotten to the point where it just the 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 views are so far apart um that you can't be in the same room together which is is interesting because they almost deal with that in years to years in years and years not years mm-hmm. to years in years and years <laughs> um because they you know there's i think in episode 2 they're pleading with Rosie not to support Viv Rook um, right you know they're pleading with her to please open your eyes and see what she really is.
0: Yeah. Particularly Daniel. He's definitely fearful of Vivian Rook. And when the election comes along, there's a little montage showing everyone doing their voting. And I thought it was interesting that Daniel, the gay man is the one that voted for the conservative party and everyone else either voted for the liberal party or the four-star party. But I just thought that was kind of an interesting thing that, uh,
1: she, he's, a, he's a never-rooker. Uh,
0: yeah, I guess so. He's a never-rooker. He might yeah. still, you know.
2: <laughs> That's this week's word. Never-rooker,
1: yeah. I think the, the biggest thing that I took away from this episode is um, I'm now terrified of Amazon's oh. idea to deliver packages by a um, drone. The drone, drone delivery um, I thought was going to be cool. Now I'm terrified of it. It's fine
0: as long as you don't walk right into the blades.
1: Yes, right. but you've seen me. I walk around. I don't look where I'm going. I'm like staring up at the sky and looking at the leaves and the bushes. And I wear headphones. I'm going to walk into a whirling blade of a, of a you know, of a, a Amazon drone delivery.
2: Yeah. And you think that... And I'm tall.
1: So yeah, I'm more likely to problem. get hit.
2: Both <laughs> of us are going to be targeted. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought this this episode, like... I think there was there wasn't like the fast paced uh, plot development in this episode. I think this episode was much more like now that we know what the field of the show is, let's get to know these people and I thought it was really good uh exploration inward um I actually you know having seen the whole show watching this episode by in itself, I was actually surprised that I actually like all of these people i i i was I was drawn into all of them, even the ones that turn out to be heinous i I felt for them. And I thought that was very effective because it draws you inside of something and see ultimately it's going to show us how even the best of us, given the circumstance, can fall.
0: Yeah, well, so far, other than Daniel running off to be with Victor and leaving Ralph behind, no one's done anything heinous. I mean, the the banter is sometimes a little hurtful, but for the most part, everyone is still fairly likable.
2: And I also really like the siblings. Being siblings, there's right. a well nice way that they uh, kind of let us into uh, like family secrets, or you know, it's like when you watch twins; they kind of just know what is happening between right. them without saying anything. I like that moment. It kind of reminded me a lot. I wrote this down. It reminded me of my sister. Reminded me of the connections that we have and how important that is when you face a world of uncertainty. To have that kind of a foundation in some sort of moral reality for
0: yourself. Yeah. At some point, relatively early on in episode two, uh, Steven and Celeste make the decision to put their house up on the market. I don't recall what their reasoning was. I don't know if you guys remember that, but they decide to put the house up on the market and ultimately it sells and they close escrow. So the money is in their bank and overnight the economic system collapses and their money is now gone and they've lost like a million and a half dollars or 1.1 £1. 1 million pounds, something like that. And so they're virtually wiped out overnight, which as we know from history has actually happened before and could very easily happen again. Uh, if we're not careful, uh, that situation caused a run on the banks. And I thought the, uh, The uh, portrayal of that was uh, really interesting. You had these big, long, relatively calm lines of people waiting to get into the banks. And uh, then they get freaked out when the lady comes out and says, sorry, I need to lock the doors. And all chaos ensues and people are running around being nuts. And then eventually, towards the end of that scene, uh, one of the cops that's trying to keep people in line suddenly becomes one of the crazy people
1: Desperately trying to get into the bank to get a little bit of money out. Yeah, it's fascinating uh, to see a scenario where countries around the world are putting sanctions on the U.S. That's mm-hmm. that's interesting and um, really fascinating to to watch, and also to again see how prophetic and nostradamic it could be to uh, if. Things continue the way they are going right now. It is not hard to believe that there will be countries around the world sanctioning the U.S. But the other thing that the kind of the question is how how well do sanctions work? Because we are so interconnected, you know. British, the England putting um, sanctions on the U.S. ends up actually really hurting England um, because the so the, so many countries around the world are so interconnected that when one is going down, it's going to take another one down with it.
0: Yeah, an interesting thing, I, I think it's a little bit before all of the collapse happens, before the, the house, house closes, um, Stephen and uh, Daniel are having a conversation and Stephen kind of makes the point that the UK is the United States, is economically, culturally, so incredibly intertwined. I mean, they're, they're more American than they are European in his opinion, in the financial system and culture and everything. And so putting sanctions on America, in essence, has put sanctions on themselves, which is in part why things seem to collapse there, which I thought was also interesting.
3: Did you guys notice that when Rook took power, that she, and she was in her own personal media, um, you know, her own channel, that she says the thing about the wine... And she says, uh, and then she says, I'm going to put tariffs on all foreign wines. So exactly the opposite of of what she was saying in that disastrous debate that she had where she was called out for being, well, an idiot. I just thought it was, it was a nice little connection there. We get to see her doing exactly what she said she wasn't going to do.
0: Yeah. uh, The thing that struck me most about that whole moment was the fact that there is such a thing as English wine. (laughs) <laughs> Just yeah. doesn't sound all that appealing. I can't imagine <laughs> grapes growing very well in that region.
3: <laughs> well, Who I knows? mean, that, that's,
2: the, that's the thing that is so hard for me to understand about tariffs in the first place, that uh, what we're saying when we're imposing tariffs on someone else is that we don't have the means to make it as efficiently as you do. So we have to make sure that you're penalized for being more efficient than us. For whatever reason, it's so counter-conservatism to me. It's so counter-free market. Instead of investing in maybe we need to educate our populace more, and we need to in- invest in our infrastructure more, no, we're going to level the playing field by making it harder for you to be competitive. It ultimately shoots everybody in the foot. Someone has to just explain to me how tariffs benefit they just seem to be a weird slap on the wrist that doesn't get anything done in fact it advances other nations to look outside of the u.s for their for their goods for selling their goods
0: yeah either way the consumer in the end is who ends up paying for those tariffs so in all likelihood it's going to harm
1: those that would be purchasing rather than the overall economy i guess the theory and i don't know I'm far from an expert on this, but the theory is if someone's selling more than they're buying, they're trying to create a scenario where if we're going to buy from you, you have to buy from us as well. If you're not willing to buy from us, then we're going to make you pay a fee for selling to us. Like I said, I couldn't be more far away from really understanding this issue. And I, but I am I, those of you who know more about this, is that what you understand tariffs to be? I
3: I, understand nothing. I think the, the
1: basic idea is that if
0: you're selling a widget in the United States as a U.S. manufacturer for $100 and China can sell that same widget to your customers for $60, if the government puts a sanction of, say, $30 on the Chinese widget, then it kind of levels the playing field. So as a consumer, you might be more likely to buy American if it in the end, doesn't cost you as much. I'm not an economist. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't I, know either.
3: Uh, can I throw a topic out there? Do you guys Absolutely. mind? Yeah. Funny parts. You know, so when teaching archetypes and we talk about the trickster and how necessary he is for the story because the hero is way too, you know, serious all the time. So we need a trickster. I've got, I needed funny moments for these episodes because otherwise, you know, I'd like to crawl into a hole and die pretty much. And so, some of my my favorite moments. Of course, it's the decapitation of the uh, the the drone decapitation.
1: Yeah, that was Eric's favorite part. Yeah, that we talked about that. Then I'm especially terrified of that with my height right now.
3: So, uh. <laughs> I will not send a drone to your house. Okay. <laughs> uh, let me see the most awkward hug that has ever existed <laughs> between Gran and Celeste when they have that brief moment. Oh right, of, yeah. It's like, it's the worst thing I've, I've ever seen. I hope I never hug anyone like that. And, oh, and getting drunk on synthetic alcohol.
0: That was kind of a fun concept. After Edith comes back, she brings back some contraband from Tokyo that is synthetic alcohol that in theory, you're supposed to be able to get completely obliterated and not suffer from a hangover the next morning. As we come to find out, that feature does not, entirely work <laughs> so they were suffering a bit the next morning and and uh Stephen turned grand's birthday party into a pagan holiday by dancing naked around the fire um that was a, a little bit of a disturbing scene <laughs> as well i think I, Lindsay, isn't that the first scene you ever saw you walked in on mark watching the yeah, that episode yeah. at I that was point
3: like, oh okay <laughs> what are you watching right. mark <laughs> No, but I loved, I loved. did you notice the way all of their dancing really reflected who they were? I think the, the actors were just fantastic in that moment when the daughters were looking at their dad's wee-wee, hanging out there and they're like, no, you know, running away. It was, right. it was beautiful. And even uh, Edith with her like dancing, like all, you know, like she's at a rave or something. <laughs> I thought it was, it was a great scene. I'm trying to think of other funny moments that was a rough go, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, the game show is also interesting with Viv, Viv being on the television show. To, yeah. you, know, you oh, know, yeah. And, and know, And it's actually a direct parody of what Boris Johnson did before he came to power. It was one of the ways he started to get notoriety was he would appear on these game... Well, not multiple. He appeared on a game show that was about making you look like a fool. Um, and he was... was kind of created in a, um, a persona of being kind of a buffoonish guy that has continued to be part of his persona as he's risen to power. And uh, it's where Viv Rook really starts to embrace there is no such thing as bad publicity. She just needs to be in the public eye, no matter what it is she's doing.
3: Is that yeah. where she said that she would make a statue of the horses killed in world, world war one.
0: Right. Yeah. When, yeah. when the, the, her counterpart was saying that she was going to donate to some children's charity. And then she said, yeah, I'm, I'm working for money for a statue, the horses. Yeah.
1: To build and, statues to, dedicated to the horses to, that to were killed horses. in world war, world right. war one. Yeah.
3: yeah. And I kind of wondered considering that might be a fully calculated sort of joke to make, Who would that be reaching? You know, people who are so distant from, you know, World War One, they don't care. They don't have the emotional association with it. Just the ridiculousness of it. She wants to say, I'm one of you because isn't she one of the regular people? Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think it's also, you know, there's it, it plays into some sort of somebody is going to see that as patriotic. I'm so patriotic. I'm going to build statues to the horses. Um, that's how patriotic i am so she was really trying to reach the patriot vote i guess Mm -hmm. yeah
0: it's it's uh, also it's about animals so you know she's she's sensitive to the the plight of animals which makes her a little more appealing to the left right
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's right all we like are the animals i have a (laughs) couple questions True, the humans
0: i have a couple of that's non-milk I, I think it's non-fat milk or no, no, no. I, I think it's a synthetic milk, oh, like, a, okay. like almond milk or soy milk or something. Okay. Cause they, it's they, what
3: we have in the refrigerator, honey. <laughs> yeah.
2: But <laughs> you know, it's called, it's almond milk that we have. And I was wondering, is that something that's in, in Britain right now? Or is that a future thing? Well, um, it,
0: it might be a brand name or something. They don't really go into it, but at the barbecue that uh, they're throwing later, that Daniel throws for his birthday, um, they talk about genuine sausages and beef burgers, but oh, yeah. they also have orange burgers and mm-hmm. veggie burgers, uh, the orange burgers being made out of orange peel. And so it yeah. seems like either veganism or vegetarianism is either more popular at this point in history or uh, has become necessary because, you know, maybe meat is not as Prevalent as it once was, that you know there are shortages of certain things now. Uh, chocolate is no longer available, as grand discovers. So, you know Ooh, that, that fu- might be part of it. The future doesn't
1: sound that bad. Orange peel burgers.
2: We right? right. have so right. many
1: choices.
2: You know, I thought that was interesting too. That the uh, the school implemented the, those pull the mm-hmm. string, heat up the burger. That's not even a burger. That's closer to a vegan meal. Right.
0: Reminds me of the uh, Beyond Burger or the Impossible Burger. Yeah.
3: Did you guys ever try
0: that? Mm -hmm. I I have not been brave enough to try the Impossible Burger. I have had Beyond products. I've had Beyond tacos and burritos at Del Taco, and they're pretty good. I had a Beyond burger at Carl's Jr., which tasted fine. Uh, It tasted good, actually, but it made me sick in the end. Uh, And I think that's (laughs) probably... (laughs) we won't go there um but i think the reason is that uh from what i understand the the patties are kind of held together with this oil blend and because there's so much oil in it that's probably what did a number on my stomach whereas the Mm -hmm. the taco burrito stuff is is kind of just ground and it it doesn't have to hold together the same so it doesn't have as much of the oil that's my yeah you know i'll tell
1: you i had i had um a beyond burger that was made at a at a health food store, a store nearby called Lassen's. Mm-hmm. Shout out, shout out to Lassen's. And um, it was so good. It had uh, soy cheese on it. It had vegan mayonnaise. I mean, it was everything that I thought, this is going to be tasteless and, and scary. And okay. it, it was really good, yes. really good. Now, I also have had them at the fast food restaurants and I don't enjoy them there at all. And I think it's because honestly, they they're a little creepy. They taste too much like meat, and I think they also cook them on the grill where the other meats being made. Um, that could be too. So, yeah. so I don't I don't need you to try to make uh, my burger look like it's rare. So you know the kind of <laughs> the, the, that it's it's got a reddish hue to it, and it's and it and it it, it quote unquote bleeds. You know when you bite it. That creeps me out. I don't need that. I I don't eat meat yeah. for. That's one of the reasons I don't eat meat is I don't want it to be pink and bleeding all over my plate. And Aww. then, <laughs> so so anyway, I've gone off on one of my famous tangents that I'm sure will be um, <laughs> will be edited out because it has nothing to do with ears and ears. But anyway. Um, well, uh, well like, like, like like, the Beyond Burger license. <laughs> Spe- speaking
0: of lunch, uh, Celeste yeah. and, and uh, Bethany had an interesting lunch one day mm-hmm. and Bethany was very excited for her mom to call her on the phone. And mom says, why would I call you? You're right across. Please just call me, call me. She does. And then she answers, Bethany answers the phone by snapping her fingers and putting her thumb and pinky finger up to her face. And she has, as it turns out, had a skin plant, which makes her hand into a, a telephone uh, handset so that she can talk on the phone. The interesting thing about that, though, is apparently she still needs a handset to be able to make outgoing calls. So mm-hmm. there's, there's no voice recognition with the, the thumb and, and pinky. She's, she's got to actually have a real phone to make outgoing calls. So what's the point if you need the phone anyway? But,
1: and, so that, and spoiler that, that, alert, it gets better. Yeah, like the, the, <laughs> technology, like the, the next version of the phone keeps getting better and ber- better.
3: But I think that that's really, really cool the way they did that, that just little detail because technology, when it comes out at first, it's never going to be exactly what you want, which is why I've always subscribed to. I just wait for like 10 years and then I get the thing that came out 10 years ago, pretty cheap. You know, that's always been my my philosophy. But um, also, did you notice she said, I've integrated. And just that statement, it's so easy to pass over. But for her, it's there's so much complexity there. Of of what that means, I've integrated. Yeah, I have that, become one with something else with technology.
0: That's her first step in her transhuman journey.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I also like that um, when the parents get upset, she talks about it, she she says to her mom, "Well, you got a tattoo, um, <laughs> right?" And that, and that 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 every generation has the thing that is just a step too far for the parents. I remember in early '80s when people when when guys were getting earrings that was just uh, unbelievable. I mean, people that was a yeah. step too far for so many so sure. many people. Yeah. A step too far. I remember when nose rings. I was like, a, you got a nose ring, you know? <laughs> and now I think the little diamond chip in the nose is is pretty awesome. And so. I would never have thought of getting a tattoo um growing up and now I desperately want a tattoo. I just don't know what to get and where to get it on my body. But um <laughs> no, we'll we'll figure it well we just haven't figured out what it is.
2: That's an interesting concept, actually. The um the the reason people don't they shy away from tattoos is it's a permanent thing. So you have to be sure that the rest of your life encompasses that, which means that you either get it because you're like, look how bold I am that I know myself as well, or I know this thing to be permanent and never wavering, which is an interesting, I, I don't know if this is a good, uh, I'm flushing this out as I'm saying this, but uh, it's interesting how this show is all about the changes that happen and the, the lack of permanence. Yeah. And,
1: I, and think think there's, there's also, of I think that there's also, I think that, I think there's also something interesting about um, something being important enough that you want to remember it and think of it often. Um, Uh, So, so having something on your body that when you look at it, it makes you think of a time that, um, that you, that, that brings you joy.
3: But also I think that in some ways, uh, what's her face? I'm sorry. uh, What's her name? Uh, Who, who's getting all of the uh, changes made to her transhuman. Bethany. Uh, that she's kind of representing us in a way as people like she's the everyman. I feel like overall for this story, from my point of view, because remember she gets that and then she doesn't take into account that calls cost things. So her dad later mentions, Oh, well, she forgot to say that, you know, this all costs extra money. So it it doesn't matter if you got it for free or whatever, you know, this is, And it's the same thing with, you know, tattoos in in essence when you're getting them as as a younger person. I had a friend who uh, when he was 18, he turned 18 and he went and he got a Tigger tattoo on his ankle because that represented something big to him. And years later, he was getting it removed bit by painful bit, you know. So and if we expand that to the overall themes for this, aren't we doing things without thinking of the consequences? Aren't we learning what the consequences are as we go along bit by bit? That yeah, but, it seems like such a cool idea, but
0: yeah, consequences are are dire in situations sometimes when uh, Bethany meets a friend at work named Lizzie and together they conspire to go and and have this procedure done and it's done kind of underground. So They, uh, first of all, they make a story so they can leave mom without her being suspicious. And instead of going to Scotland, like they say, they're going to, they end up going to Liverpool, getting on a boat, paying some money to some shady people. And they go onto this tanker ship or whatever to have operation performed. And Lizzie, Bethany's friend, uh, has her eye removed and replaced with uh, some kind of digital camera that in theory is supposed to give her superior vision and recording capability of everything that she sees. Um, But of course the operation was botched and it's a big disaster. Luckily for Bethany, she decides not to do it and they escape. Uh, But Celeste kind of comes to the rescue to kind of help out, gets her to the hospital and, and all that sort of thing. But I must admit that several times... I have fantasized about having something like that where you could Mm -hmm. like with your eyes, without having to use a camera or binoculars or anything, if you could zoom in to be able to see far away or, um, you know, a macro lens, so you can get super close. Like to have that built in is a really cool concept to me. Although after seeing this episode, I'm a little less excited about that Mm -hmm. prospect.
1: Do you guys remember the show, the bionic man? Oh, of course. Yeah. 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 he He had that. He had the uh, right. the mm-hmm. bionic the bionic eye. Yeah, yeah. I, I, bigger,
3: faster, stronger is. Uh,
1: yeah. is that the...
3: Yes. Then,
1: <laughs> I had I was very fond of the bionic woman. She had um, bionic hearing. Oh um, yes. Was very fond of the bionic.
2: I think woman. Lindsay has bionic hearing actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that
1: comes from being a mom and a school teacher.
3: <laughs> yeah, I know. That's my favorite thing as a teacher to say to kids in class, oh, no, I heard you. <laughs> I know you're way over there, but I heard you.
0: Yeah, It's it's interesting in this show where they have these um, technological and, and healthcare breakthroughs um, mm. with the the implants with the phone and the bionic mm-hmm. eye and all that. But then there's also a scene where Edith and Rose are just hanging out in the apartment and the neighbor, the babysitter comes by and she's got a baby in her arms. And then after the babysitter leaves, uh, Rose says, that's the baby. That's the one. And it turns out that the baby was diagnosed in utero with spina bifida, which is the same affliction that Rose has. And somehow medically they were able to um, correct that before she was born. And now she's a normal, healthy baby. And that's at the same time, a very exciting thing for Rose, uh, but also makes her second guess herself. Like, is she less than because she's not perfect? And she makes the comment that, you know, they can fix anything now. When when are they going to stop? Um, and
3: that's exactly and, the quote that I wrote down, Christian. Yeah. yeah.
0: And am I not good enough now? And And it's kind of an interesting question to ponder. And that's kind of a thing that people are even talking about now with, um, the ability to pre-diagnose certain things, uh, down syndrome and stuff like that. And people are given the option, uh, to make a choice on whether or not to, uh, continue a pregnancy if they have some of these different conditions, uh, that might lessen the quality of life for the potential offspring. Um, and this just takes it to the next level. And if you can correct things rather than just terminating, that could be a a pretty serious game changer.
3: Well, also with people that, you know, I've seen on the interwebs, people who have children with down syndrome, you know, it's not an uncommon thing to say, to hear people say, no, this child has been a blessing to us for various reasons. And this child is not a mistake. This child is who they are. And, Having known people, friends who've had children with disabilities, major disabilities, I am not qualified to comment on that. But I do think it it brings up an important point. She says she's fine with the way she she likes who she is. She doesn't want to see it as a defect, a def you know a defect on you know who she is as a person. And I think it just gets really tricky right here. I, I see her being Rosie is such a conflicted character, right? Like she's like yap, yap, yapping about one thing in one way, and then she acts a different way. Truth is kind of a, like a, a, a changeable thing for her, so to speak. Like she's like with Rook, like with her relationships, who she is, she's just flip-flopping back and forth all, all over the place which I think makes her and Edith a great pair. But sorry, I dominated that a little bit too much.
0: No, not at all. I I think the way that that character of Rose is portrayed is great because the disability that she has, it's not really even mentioned. I mean, there's this Mm -hmm. brief reference to it in in this one almost throwaway scene because it it didn't take up a whole whole lot of time. But you see her in her wheelchair, but she's doing everything. She drives, she takes care of her family, she goes to work, I mean, she's... Totally independent and self-sufficient, and no one treats her any differently. Uh, She's just living her everyday life. It just happens that she does it while seated, Mm -hmm. and you know she. It's not a disability, at least that we can see. We recognize that she's in a chair, but she does not seem any less abled than any of her siblings or anyone else, for that matter. And she's able to maintain relationships with everyone with it, without an issue, at yeah. least, that uh, we've been able to discern. And, I and she's less likely to um, get hit by
2: a drone. That, <laughs>
0: that's
3: true. You're really worried about that, aren't you, Eric?
1: Yes,
2: yes I am. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I was actually thinking that the, um, it's interesting how we, someone like her has to be told that she is less than, you know? Uh, like, yeah, you ever seen a three-legged dog? Um, it's weird because they're uh, happy, like they joke. do everything, they don't know right. any sort of difference in their life. They're not, they don't sit there and bemoan it, it doesn't seem like they do, um, but we have to be told that you could be better and the whole world of advertising is basically you right. are not satisfied right now. I'm telling you, you're not satisfied and the way you are satisfied is to buy my product. I was going to say something earlier and I don't know if this ties in philosophy of moving beyond what we are as humans, integrating into becoming more than our body, becoming machines, uh, synthesizing food, uh, because we think we figured the silver bullet to nutrition also is leading to us being less, leading to things like antibiotics are no longer working in this world uh, where we've like tried to medicate and augment ourselves away from being human to the point where we are now more susceptible to change that happens out there because we're weaker as a
3: species. I wanted to bring it back to uh, the things that happen in each episode, kind of the thematic idea for each one. And I think this one is let's tear it all down. Like let's watch everything just start to decompose right in front of you. Do you remember that it was Daniel in the first episode who was like, what's going to happen? Where's it going to go? And he has that like meltdown this time it's Edith. And she's like, sought it. Let's have fun. And, and then um, I don't want to, I don't want to like take it too far into the next episode, but basically she's like, uh, forgive me, fuck it where it's all coming down. And that's what I want to watch. I want to watch it come down.
1: I had two Edith quotes that I was excited about for this episode. but So this quote uh, from Edith um, that I think goes to what you were talking about, uh, Lindsay, or at least leads to that, is she said, maybe it's time I did something with my life instead of shouting. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. Um, That's Mm -hmm. why Edith has has been really my favorite character, is because she doesn't just talk about yeah. what she wants. She, she takes action. She is, she's active. She, she, she actually does something as opposed to sitting around and just complaining about it. But maybe yeah. it, it's time I did something with my life instead of shouting, I'm just not sure what. Um, so th- that really interesting life discovery for her in this episode when it seems like she has been somebody who has done something. I mean, she's the one who was on the ship going towards the island that was getting blown up you know Mm -hmm. but um i think what what we find as um as the episodes go on is that she is she's now not just going to shout and hold up a sign um at 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 the site she's gonna tear down the site she's gonna Mm -hmm. she. so when you were talking about that Lindsay, i think she wants to be the one to tear it down um too which i think is really exciting
3: Yeah. She acts like she's resting, but she's not. Sorry. Go ahead, Christian.
0: Yeah. Well, she makes the decision. We'll find out in the next episode what, what she ultimately does, but um, she decides she's going to really shake things up by making kind of a bold move Um, at a kind of a contrast to that is Ralph Daniel's ex after meeting with him briefly and having Mm -hmm. a little conversation, um, he decides to make a small move that has huge ramifications. And that is he goes to the uh, gas station that Victor works at. um, And after confirming that he is there, he takes a photograph and then submits that and ends up getting um, Victor into serious trouble. Uh, And there's a hearing on whether or not he's eligible to be in the country because he's working without a visa. Uh, and ultimately Victor ends up getting deported, um, because of the actions of, of Ralph. Um, and I don't know if Ralph actually intended to cause quite that much damage uh, or if he was just trying to be a little bit vindictive and, and get him into some kind of trouble, maybe have a fine or something. Um, but ultimately he was kicked out of the country and sent back to, what is it, Croatia that he's from or, or, uh. Uh, No, uh, Czechoslovakia, somewhere like that is uh, where being homosexual is illegal. Um, And so he is sent back uh, to his native country. um, And that, of course, causes all kinds of grief and strife for Daniel, who is desperately trying to uh, get his companion back. And uh, Daniel confides in Fran about the whole situation. And so a new partnership and friendship develops there, brings Fran into a a little bit better light. (laughs) She was not my favorite character in the last episode. (laughs) She was just kind of boring. But now that there's a a seed that maybe something more important will be happening with that
1: character. I think Ralph knew exactly what he was doing. I think maybe I'd I'd like to believe that he didn't, but I think you guys are much, you guys are all so much nicer to Ralph than I just think Ralph's. (laughs) I think Ralph's the worst. I think he's the worst. Uh, And I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And I think that not only he wanted Victor removed and he wanted Daniel punished. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted Daniel to suffer um, from Victor's removal. I just think yeah, he's the worst.
3: I, d- I don't know. And with him being the conspiracy guy, you know, thing. Remember, he likes all of those like yep. little theories going around and everything. And maybe to him, oh, you're right. Maybe, maybe I'm too nice. I just felt so freaking bad for him. The way Daniel left him so cruelly. The way he treated him. Just discarded him. And, you know, part of the thing about the second episode was, you know, with Victor showing up and being a part of all the family stuff. And it was like, it's just like, oh, you know, he just melded right in there, which is I know what happens. But it was just so cruel the way it happened to him.
1: Oh, and uh, and it was, by the way,
3: he was being sent back to the Ukraine.
1: I hear you. I hear you, Lindsay. I think the way I looked at it was I think that Ralph was very worthy of being left. I just think that um, I, I'm not happy with the way he left him. Uh, mm-hmm. Way, Daniel. I wish that Daniel had said, hey, Ralph, we're too different now. You're an idiot. Um, and I don't want to be around you anymore. So we're getting a divorce. And then okay. he went and yeah. pursued Victor. That yeah. would have been nice. But I, I have noticed, I, I, I don't have a lot of patience for somebody who's that willingly ignorant. Um, yeah. And so, um, so I had no problem with Daniel leaving him. I just yeah. uh, wish that Daniel had been, had more integrity in how he left him.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Because he wasn't the same person that he married. He had gone over the deep end into conspiracy theories and, and uh, you know just outright ignorance. And that's not who Daniel fell in love with. And so if that's the route that Ralph wanted to go, I think Daniel had every right to, to, to leave him. him. And you. I support him in that ending. I just don't support how he ended them. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Lindsay, about
0: how quickly Victor was embraced by the family. um, Mm -hmm. There's about a six month gap between the end of the first episode and the beginning of the second one. So there has been some time there for them to establish a relationship with Victor as well. And Victor's a pretty likable guy. So I would imagine after six months, they would all be fairly welcoming. And I thought it was interesting, too, that, um, you know, when all this. Kind of stuff was going on. Uh, Gran had a, a conversation with him alone in the kitchen, and she said, "You know, you're you're always going to be welcome here. You know, you're you're part of the family now."
2: Um, that was my I, that was my favorite moment in the show. Yeah,
1: what a
0: beautiful thing for Gran telling
2: telling him that your parents are ru- rubbish, yeah. Yeah. right? Because well, they well,
1: his
0: parents a- are the ones that turned him into the government because he was gay, and so he's the re or his parents are the reason that he had to become a refugee and and seek Mm -hmm. asylum. And Grant is saying, you know, you're welcome here. I thought it was also interesting that her relationship in six months with Victor was closer than her relationship with Celeste after
2: presumably 15 (laughs) years or (laughs) something. That was interesting. I think that she also is, she's one of those, uh, just the opposite of a dotting old woman. She is wise and, and Mm -hmm. the years of her life has, 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 Accumulated to this point of wisdom, she's not. Rip- it's that I thought was so powerful as a statement about how yeah. we treat. The
3: Can I ask you guys something? Do you enjoy the um, the friction between Celeste and Gran? I, for one, do not enjoy it. It makes me extremely upset and uncomfortable, and it makes I I it really bothers me. But do you guys enjoy it at uh, all? I, and if so, I don't.
1: I don't no. and and what's interesting to me I notice and I watch a lot of television and I love television. Um I'm always fascinated by how families um seem to function with so much conflict. Um like if that I I I think as much as I find it interesting to watch it makes me uncomfortable. It is slightly unbelievable to me. I don't I don't really believe that they would continue to um have a relationship if they were that awful to each other all the time. And maybe that's just my family. My family just doesn't have, like if I said something like that mm-hmm. to my sister, if, I, if, if my sister and I had a, that type of relationship that Gran and Celeste do, we just would not have a relationship. Um, so it's hard for me to believe that people can be that awful to each other, say that horrible things to each other, and then come back next week and be like, uh, oh, we'll put that behind us. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know if, if you all have had those types of relationships in your family. Um, but I guess it's hard. I guess for me, I, my family would find it a lot harder to let some of that stuff go.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm glad you have
0: that kind of family. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know that I've witnessed things quite as extreme as Celeste and, and uh, Gran, but uh, it. Sometimes tensions can run very high in families and it, it's it's not implausible to me. Um, and I think that the tension there is escalated even further because after they lose all of their money, after this financial collapse, they end up moving into Gran's house. So initially it was just Gran living there by herself. And now she's got Steven and Celeste and Ruby and Bethany all under the same roof. And they're all together all the time, which makes things that much harder and just to put a fine point on that uh towards the end they're watching the debate with Mm -hmm. vivian rook and and the other candidates and right at a moment when something important is about to be said grand turns off the tv and says you don't mind do you when everyone is there watching together and they all just kind of look at each other like what you just (laughs) at the climax of this whole thing that we've been watching for an hour you decide to turn off the tv um and so I, I can only imagine that once they're all under the same household, uh, that relationship becomes even more strained and problematic.
1: And I agree. I think that the the fact that the family has friction is very realistic. i just I struggle with the fact that they keep that they are able to maintain the relationships that they have with that much
2: friction. I kind of felt it was overly emphasized that it made me feel like this is a uh, this is a preamble to a resolution Mm at some point. And then I thought the resolution was Graham coming forward and saying, we said a lot of things last year, and I'm sorry, and someone said, I'm sorry, and they had that awkward hug. I thought that was it, but actually there is greater resolution to come, and I thought, this is, I mean, the reason it feels artificial is because it's actually just being used to set up a lesson.
3: And it's a technique that I don't especially like call me uh, call me weak and you and you can i just prefer for if, if that sort of stuff is going to happen i guess i'm going on the same line as you eric why aren't they saying something why isn't this a bigger issue why is steven laughing at it why is everybody getting amusement over it you know like this isn't healthy i don't like it
2: yeah i think the yeah. discomfort is the tool though well and and
1: if you're going to watch dramatic literature or, or some or something if you're going to I guess what I'm trying to say is conflict is the nature of what um pulls us in and makes makes us decide to watch this you know we've talked about this before but I'm not interested in watching real life. I'm not interested in, I can see real life out in the parking lot. I can go stand in the parking lot and watch real life. I want to see heightened life. And Mm -hmm. so, so this, these are heightened moments. They just happen to be strung together. So we're seeing a lot of heightened moments where over the course of an actual life, you might have this type of conflict once with a family member um, that blows up and is horrible and is awful. And then there is hopefully resolution at some point. They just happen to encounter it on a week on a weekly basis um, because that is more interesting to watch than standing in the parking lot and watch people walk to and from Trader Joe's. So can I drop another quote on you all? Yeah. This quote hit me and again, it's Edith. The world keeps getting hotter and faster and matter and we (laughs) don't pause. We don't think we don't learn we keep racing on to the next disaster, and I keep wondering what's next, where are we going, when's it ever going to stop?
0: Murder hornets.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just thought again. I watched this a year ago um, to hear that line. Oh, yeah, uh, now is so different. Um, uh, I I think there is so much, so much awful around this pandemic right now, but. The thing, there is the positive for, at least I can speak for myself, there is the positive of being forced to actually stop and go, wait a second, is this the way I've been doing stuff? Is this how I want to keep doing it? Because in theater, we do kind of go from one crisis to the next crisis. And we're just putting out the the fires so that we can get the show open on time and people will be in the audience and we'll be ready to go. And I just think it's so interesting to kind of step back and go, wait, why? Why do we do it like that? Who says that Tech Week has to be a week? Who says that we need to, in order to put up the show, we need to have two 12-hour days back-to-back in order to get the show ready? Um, Because it all has to fit in to this one week. Why? Why can't we step back and go, you know what? We're going to take two weeks to tech this show, and we're going to have some normal six to eight hour days to do it, as opposed to this, like, I don't know, I just, I think there's something really interesting in being forced to actually stop, and and in being forced to stop using that time to examine what you've been doing, because our excuse all along has been, we don't have time, we don't have time to reinvent this, we don't have time to reinvent this, the machine is moving, the machine is moving, well, the machine has stopped now, and so there is, we're we're going to do some reinventing. So I'm excited about. Uh, I'm I'm hopeful. I should say I'm hopeful that uh, there are going to be some significant changes that come out of this forced pause.
0: Yeah, it's it's uh it's interesting. The situations that plague mankind are largely manufactured by ourselves. We we put these deadlines on ourselves and. Everyone just accepts them. We follow this calendar that uh, we invented as if our lives depend on it. And some might argue that they do depend on it, but that's only because we say they do. Before last episode, we talked about the music. And I think it's really interesting whenever there's something major that happens bomb goes off and people are freaking out. Or there's the run on the banks. There's that same really forceful, fast, uh, okay. uncomfortably fast music that just swells and makes your anxiety as a viewer go up, and you get wrapped up in whatever the conflict happens to be. And that's a kind of a driving force the entire time. Is is there's a speed to that music and and the the speed of the cuts and the editing so that it, it, the tension levels rise and you feel that that you're a part of, of all of this chaos that's happening. And the fact that it so closely resembles what we are experiencing or anticipate experiencing in real life makes the drama that much more palpable.
3: You bet. And I, I love that they're keeping the same music from the first episode, that this is a continuing theme on right. and on in years and years. And this is what in these moments where it just breaks down and it gets that real choppy feeling to it. Did you notice that like a feeling to it? Kind of like the the
0: the rotors of a drone Mm -hmm. that's about to cut your head off.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Eric. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I appreciated it when I saw, you know, the run on the bank. And I have to admit that my only knowledge about runs on the bank have to do with Mary Poppins. And what happened in that, you know, and so I kind of thought that Mary Poppins was doing a metaphorical run on the bank, like where they were making it literal, but that a run on the bank wasn't really like a run on the bank. And so um, when that music came in, I was like, ah, yes, this is true. This is what happens. You get to feel the panic and we get to see Stephen's face up close, you know, and how it manifests in that desperation on his face right then you know, I think it's like the last shot of him is just spitting onto the camera. Basically.
0: Yeah. I can't imagine how guilty he must feel because all it would have taken was for him to type in a password the night before and they would have been fine. If he had just diversified and and split up that money into a couple of different accounts, which was what he was planning to do the next morning. If he had done Mm -hmm. it that night, they would have been fine. But instead they lost their entire fortune. And I, I cannot imagine. And then worst part about that is understandably or not, Celeste will not let him live it down. Mm-hmm. And we'll find out more about that next episode. But it's just a, unfathomable to me that you could lose that much money literally overnight and yeah. still go on with life.
2: I right. wanted to say, Eric, your point, thats I, I really like that. That's now sunk in. Uh, that was a little sermon you had there, all prepared. <laughs> and, and I, I, I that actually is, is kind of inspiring. Uh, I think I ha- I had to go through that. Uh, I had to just sit there and hope that maybe I can go back to work, and then I had to give myself to the fact that I can't, and then I got really depressed and I and I spiraled into myself, and then I just said, wait a second, this is an opportunity. I can actually go to school right now, whereas I always. Felt like, no, I don't have time to learn something new. I can actually do this. I can practice. I can get in shape. There's a bunch of things. And I like, I love that you said that because uh, it, it it just reinvigorated me again right there. It's just like, if we have this silver lining, then there's no excuse now. There is no excuse not to take advantage of it. You know, the fact that we're doing this podcast right now, here's something we probably wouldn't have done. Yeah. We were in part of our schedule. So,
1: well, and I want to acknowledge too, um i agree so much with what you said Mark, and, and um and i also want to acknowledge that we're lucky it comes with some of our privilege that yeah, we, that absolutely. we kind of, we can say oh i've been forced to stop i'm going to reexamine my life and maybe make some changes and um and 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 make some positive change and there are some people out there who didn't get to stop they had to uh, yeah figure out how to continue to pay rent and how to figure out how to continue to put food on the table and how to find childcare and and so much so I am unbelievably grateful for my situation, but I would be negligent if I didn't acknowledge that not everybody has this silver lining, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that there'll be some, some really positive changes.
0: This episode ends with Vivian Rook uh, winning the nomination for the MP or the, the member of parliament for her district. And so uh, there are certain members of the family that are kind of excited by that. Uh, I think Edith is kind of ironically happy about it. Rose is legitimately happy about it. Mm-hmm. And Daniel is terrified by that fact. And that's kind of where we're left. So w- what do we have for overall impressions of this second episode of years and years? Lindsay?
3: Hmm. I uh Uh, I got really anxious during this and I said something to Mark and he was like, well, maybe because you know what's going to happen, you know? And so I wasn't, I don't think I enjoyed it as much the second time around because I just, I just was so mad at characters and I was just so frustrated and feeling like, oh, civilization is collapsing. I mean, overall, it's still a great show. It's still an amazing show but my personal enjoyment wasn't as much as it was the first time I saw it all the way through. No, I have to I, learn to detach. I, guess. I think
0: the first time you, you still have some hope for redemption for some <laughs> of these folks. And <laughs> Mark, what were your thoughts?
2: I, I really, uh, I, I enjoyed getting to know the characters uh, again. Um, it was, it was good to see them before they all go on their arc of destruction um, I kind of love these guys. At some level, I see myself in in each of them, and uh, I, I I like that they they use episode two to uh, put put all of those sentiments inside of me. And so I I really wanted to watch, and I I'm I'm right now I'm hoping for them all. I'm 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 hoping. Hey, I hope I hope you do the right thing, you know. And then also something I learned was I looked up online while I was watching this. I, I didn't know that there were actual like, I'm so naive, but I didn't know that there was actually nation states where homosexuality is illegal. And I looked it up and almost all of Africa, the whole Middle East and Southeast Asia, it's illegal to be gay. And I I, I, I felt really naive about that. I thought the world had woken up and maybe the Americas was the last place. But it's it's insane that, that level of restrictions still exists at that level, at that level.
1: Um some countries, it's punishable by death. Yeah, yeah. Interesting how we
2: how we decide, what we decide is wrong.
1: Yeah, I think it's so interesting because I have two different perspectives, one of watching this television show before the pandemic and one watching it after the pandemic. So right. it, it, it's fascinating. But I will say this episode is the one that kind of made Jackie and I slow down watching it. We weren't able to to binge it. And this, this was the beginning of, well, we need to take some time between these episodes. This one, this one was, was scary. This, uh, the, the, the run on the bank um, was, was so plausible, just the, it was just so, so unbelievably plausible and how quickly all of that could be wiped out and how easy I could have decided to go to sleep and, and put the password in the next morning. That, that is, um, it's actually interesting because it's something that I'm working on is not being so obsessed that I have to get like, you know, okay, I'll stay up. I'll stay up uh, extra late just so I can get this done so I can feel like it's done and then I can start fresh tomorrow. I'm actually working on being more comfortable saying, you know what, it's fine. It'll be there tomorrow. You can get up tomorrow and do it. And then you see something like this and I'm like, Oh God, this is not what I needed right now. I, <laughs> I this is the thing that's going to make me stay up and make sure I get everything submitted and done the night, uh, the night before, even though there's no reason it has to be done at that time. So anyway, I think that um, it sucked me in this episode sucked me in more because we get to know the characters more and, and it scared me even more in the best way. Cause I, I, I don't like horror. I do like um, things that wake me up, things that open my eyes. Um, so, so when I talk about it being terrifying, I mean it being that it's terrifying in a way that promotes action. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me go, there, I need to be more aware, more awake. So um, that's my take.
0: Yeah, um, I agree with all of you. I th- I think the pacing of this one was a little bit different in some sections. It was a bit slow, not as a distraction, but it just didn't move quite as quickly. But then you had high tension moments like the run on the bank that really amped everything back up again. I also was, I mentioned before we started the, the actual show that um, there were a lot of little tiny details that really popped out after a second viewing. They they mentioned that the North pole has melted. There is no North pole anymore. Um, the fact that chocolate is no longer available. And even the, the thing about the spina bifida being cured in utero was something that it was just kind of tossed away, but it's kind of an interesting little detail that makes the future seem futuristic yet still remain plausible. And I, I really like that about this show is they they put in those little things, insects and birds dying off in mass numbers. It was just a a one line thing on the news in the background, but that's something that stuck with me. And um, I think that uh, the writing team, Russell Davies and and those that are working with him have done a really good job to make sure that feels like the stakes are real and that the the tension is palpable and it it makes me want to go and and watch the next episode. And uh, I think that's ultimately what it's all about. And just as the second episode of Years and Years has come to an end, so too has this episode of the podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Joan Peterson, and our panel, Lindsay Hayes, Mark Robertshaw, and Eric Stein, and most of all, you for the privilege of your time. This is Christian Clarno. We'll look forward to sharing episode three with you all next time. Until then, stay safe and wear your masks.